0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Now let's go ahead and read this again. And his, I hope he's here this time. Where's Ben? Okay, come on up and read, would you please? Now, a few of us are going to be laughing as this happens. Part of our work together in the pastor's college is that we have the men stand up. There, how's that? That's much better. That's much better, yeah. We have the men read scripture in that little pastor's college room the way they would read it Sunday morning. And I think of all the times that have been difficult, this last week was the most difficult of any, because Ben has a way of reading scripture that we were telling him he shouldn't do. And finally, he, he, he remembered Jim Morrison and he broke on through to the other side. So, 1 Corinthians 13.
1: This is the word of God, it's eternally true. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me, nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect, sorry, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord.
0: This week, thank you, Ben. This week, we will focus on verse 7, which says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, this comes on the heel in this chapter of seven things that love is not. And I want to remind you of those things. Number one, love is not jealous, it's not envious. Number two, love doesn't brag, it's not boastful. Number three, love is not arrogant, it's not proud. Number four, love does not act unbecomingly, it's not froward. Number five, love does not seek its own, not self-centered. Number six, love is not provoked. Number seven, love does not take into account a wrong suffered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't nurse a grudge. Love forsakes the culture of victimhood that permeates the Western world. And then the summary of these seven statements is found in verse six where it says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. So anybody can talk about being a Christian. Anybody can talk about the gospel. But the proof is in the pudding. And Jesus tells us that the pudding is love. The man or woman of God is so because he loves God. And that love always is proved by obedience and by truth. Okay, so... In the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. We have two tablets, two tables of the law. The table having to do primarily with God, the table having to do deal with man. Man speaking generically, man, both men and women, man. The one having to do with God is the fulfillment of the command of Scripture, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt what? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we can look at the commandment that we're not to take the Lord God's name in vain. And we can think, well, what does it have to do with love? But listen, you listen to television shows or your friends say Jesus. And it cuts your heart, doesn't it? Why does it cut your heart? Well, because you love Jesus. And you don't want him to give, to be the name by which other people release their emotional anger, their disdain, their frustration. Jesus is the savior of our souls. To hear his name used that way hurts us. Why? Because we love Jesus. So a fulfillment of the command to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is for us to not take his name in vain. Right? I remember my dad saying to me one day when I was a young man, I'd say, ah, geez. And he'd say, Tim, Jeez is Jesus. Don't say that. I wasn't still in his home when he said that to me. Okay? The same thing is true of gosh and, 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 and golly and, and God. We love God, and so we don't use his name frivolously, we don't mince our oaths. So, The first table of the law has to do with God, and it is how we love God. The second table of the law has to do with man. It is how we love man. We love man what? Well, we love man by not envying. We love man by not murdering. We love man by not committing adultery. And if you do the second table of the law, it doesn't mean that you necessarily love, but it is a long way in the direction of love, and it's all knots. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, what? That you have love for one another. In the early church, when people persecuted the Christians, they still said, see how they love one another. We were known for our love, If we don't love in our families and in this church, don't think that you have love at home, but you you don't love at church. Uh -uh. There is no love in your home if there's no love for the people of God. You say, well, pagans love at home. And I say, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Don't say that you love God when you don't love your brother. You know that that's what scripture says. And so when we love, we are proving that Jesus has come in the flesh and we are proving that we are Christians. Because why? Well, because you can't love except the Holy Spirit makes you able to love. God didn't give us the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount to make us despair. He gave them to us to drive us to Jesus so that Jesus in turn would give us what we lack. And it's never despairing to confess what you lack and ask Jesus to give it to you. Okay, And so in 1 John 2, 3, and 4, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And you think, oh no, I have to keep his commandments, but his commandments are love. If you love God, you love your neighbor, you do keep his commandments. Now, a couple comments about love before we get into verse 7. Number one, love is, as I said, the defining characteristic of the Christian. Number two, love is the entire law. Now, when I say it's the defining characteristic of Christians, you might just take that for granted, you know? You might just think, well, yeah, everybody's supposed to love, love, love. All we need is love. But listen, what other religions are there? If love is what proves Christian faith and that Jesus came, what is it that proves Muslim faith? Mohammedanism starts with Muhammad. What was characteristic of the life of Muhammad. Mata Hupal's song, Violence, Violence, it's the only thing that will make you see sense. Violence, violence, it's the only thing that will make you see sense. I think that's a good summary of the doctrine of Islam. And it has been from the beginning during the life of Muhammad. Violence, jihad. And it's still characteristic of them today. The Muslim faith. Is primarily known by two things the minarets and people calling you to prayer five times a day, and second, violence. George Bush told a howler when he said that Islam is a religion of peace. It never has been, it never will be. Its God is not a father with mercy, its God is a judge. And when you speak of a God who pours out his blood on a cross to Islam, to me personally, they laugh at me. They say, you serve a God like that and he can't keep himself from getting killed. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. That's what they said to me. And so don't take for granted that Christianity is a faith of love. You know, an awful lot of religions have blood at the center of them. As a matter of fact, this is something that the Christian faith and the Islamic faith both have in common. They have blood at the center. Islam has your blood at its center and the Christian faith has my blood as its center. Islam will kill you if you convert. The Christian faith is me dying because my master di- Died. Christian faith is proven by us giving up our life. No man has greater love than this, that he gives his life up for his friend. And yes, as I wrote this down in my manuscript, I thought I might get killed by Muslims for saying this. And that proves the truth of what I'm saying. Can you imagine any Christian killing a preacher who would get up and say that our Savior came and died for us? And the Christian's like, you're going to die for that. And it's like, okay, kill me. Listen, don't believe the lies. Regardless of how much I dislike the fact that the indulgences and Tetzel and everything paid for it when Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel's ceiling, only the Christian faith could have the hand of God coming down to us to lift us up. That's the uniqueness of the Christian faith. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. And so how can we not respond with love? Including love for Muslims. The Christian faith, its defining characteristic is love. And Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples because you have love one for the other. And so the the world is to judge whether Jesus came in the flesh first by the love that we have here in the church for one another. That's what it means, one another. It's not just talking about, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry out in the world. It's talking about us in the body of Christ, whether we love one another. Second, love is the essence of the entire law of God. It's our identifying characteristic. It's the summary of the law. And third, we cannot love God or man until God gives us faith and repentance, until he saves us and creates within us this capacity to love him and others. In other words, like everything that God commands, all we can do is ask God to give us what he commands. And that's such a sweet religion. Where everything God commands of us, we have to say, please, it's sweet. You know, have you ever had God command you to do something, your response is, ah, I got that nailed. And that's why Augustine says that command us what you will and then give us what you command. All right? I've been reading, I've told you this biography of Augustine back in the early 4th uh, century, 5th century actually, for I'm about it, the year is 425. And Augustine is now in this great battle with Pelagius, and Pelagius is—he's uh, very sophisticated. He's an intellectual, which is what we all want our children to grow up to be, right? Right? I want—I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jürgen. And so he's in controversy with Pelagius. And you know what Pelagius says, being an intellectual? He says that everything that's good is able to be done. He says we don't need God in order to be righteous. To, as a matter of fact, to be perfect. Augustine says that since the fall, all of us have been dead in our trespasses and sins, which if you think about it is actually what scripture says. Pelagius says no, 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 no we're not dead in our trespasses and sins we're perfectible and on our own effort and so Pelagius and I keep reading it and I I keep wanting to talk directly to Pelagius and I want to say to him a very sophisticated thing. I want to say dude you know it's like dude do you the same skin I do? And I can't imagine he'd look at me and sort of, no, I don't. You know, I'd say, dude, what world do you live in? I remember when a certain person who's, who's an intellectual in this church first started coming to the church. And uh, the first thing he ever said to us when he came is he said, you know, I want you to know that re- Reformed doctrine is everything that's been wrong from the ch- for, in the church from the very beginning. And uh, he went on to say that, that Reformed doctrine teaches us not to fear God and obey him. That there's an absolute absence of any concern for holiness in the Reformed church. And so he went all around town looking for a good church. And meanwhile, his wife hunker down here. He had higher standards than his wife. His wife was willing to settle for us. So she was here in church and he was wandering around looking for a good church. I don't know, he might have dragged her around with him for a while. He's here this morning. And so he began to think maybe this wasn't such a bad church after all. (laughs) So one Sunday morning I was talking to the two of them and I'm telling you, talking to the two of them is mind-numbingly difficult because they're both brilliant and when they both start firing at you, you'd wish for an AK-47 to be firing at you because it would be so much less painful. And they're firing at me right and left and I made the mistake of making a statement to the man something to the effect. I said, we sin thousands of times a day. And he erupted. It was scandalous to him that that any Christian would be so perverse, so completely lacking in the fear of God, so unsanctified, as to sin thousands of times a day. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm an idiot. You know, maybe it's not thousands, maybe it's but somehow I didn't think he'd be mollified by me saying hundreds. I think the only thing that would have satisfied him is if I'd said something like, well, you know, we sin two or three times a day. But how many times a day do you sin? I, 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 I would say we have no capacity to understand. And when it comes to love, it's so clear to us. You listen to this chapter and you just think, oh, my goodness. And so there Pelagius is saying that we can be perfect so anyhow, we were talking, and it got to a certain point in the conversation, and he set me back on my heels. I thought, boy, I'm, I really am wicked. I guess I've been in the reform world too long. And then I looked at him, and I said, you sin all the time. It just occurred to me, and he said, and he, it, to his credit, he was like, really? How? You know, it's a sweet thing about the man. And I said, well you don't stop interrupting me. And honestly, he became crestfallen. And he said, you know, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry about that. Augustine says that we can be perfect. And my response to that is, I'd like to live for five minutes with that man. Only a very proud man could ever come up with his doctrine. I mean, honestly. Did I say Augustine? Sorry, I meant Pelagius. And so you don't want to be Pelagian. It's a heresy. And you don't want to even be semi-Pelagian. You don't want to go around counting the difference between mortal and venial sins You don't want to think that candles will help. The only thing that will help is the fear of God, the confession of sin, and the washing of the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. I'm so glad I grew up with a dad who didn't act shocked at my sin. My dad always took the sins of his family in stride because he had faith in the work of God in his own life and therefore in the work of God in the life of his children. Now then, love bears all things. This is the love of God for us. When Adam sinned in the garden, God bore it. God did not make the most of our sin. Another word for bear is to cover. But God covered our sin. We were there in the garden in our federal head Adam. And God shed blood, the blood of animals, to clothe the sin of Adam and Eve. And so God bears all things. And when God killed the animals and skinned them and placed that skin over the private parts of Adam and Eve, God was pointing to the death of his animal, which is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, his own precious son, and whose blood covers us in our sin, whose righteousness is white robes for us, From beginning of creation at the fall of Adam to the consummation of all things, God is in the business of covering us. And listen, you need covering. (laughs) And and you say to me, how do you know I need covering? Well, uh, because I know myself. And because I know my children, I know my wife we need covering. Love bears all things, it covers all things. If you want an example other than God, look at the three sons of Noah. One son finds his father drunken naked in the tent. And the Old Testament speaks of nakedness as, uh, um, it speaks of it as seeing their shame. That's that's the, the circumlocution it has for nakedness shame okay and in the old testament we read that one son came into the tent and he saw his father's shame all right and so what did he do he didn't cover it he went outside and he broadcasted he was a leaking pipe when it came to the sin of his dad and then on the other side we had the other two sons, and what did they do? Well, the Bible tells us they did this. This is how it's written in scripture. It says, they took a garment, they laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backwards and clothed their father. They would not look on the shame of their father. Isn't that beautiful? And so, these sons honored God by honoring their father by covering all things. Second, love believes all things. Now this is a very difficult one because I have threatened to write a book about elders meetings and the book about elders meetings would take specific phrases of scripture which we in elders meetings will use to justify not disciplining someone. So you're always talking about... You know, to remove the romanticism of the position of elder, what an elder is is somebody that tries to bring peace to you and your wife and your children and your home and your apartment. That's all an elder is. So listen, that's all an elder is. Did you hear me? They're called ruling elders. Why? Because they rule. Why do they need to rule? Because you fight. Right? You all know that. It takes a great deal of hot air out of the office of elder when you realize it's just guys that sit around trying to keep you from fighting. <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel better about elders? You know, And I know you come in and you don't think you're fighting. You just think, I need a little help. The reason you need help is you're fighting. All right, now. So when it comes to elders... Elding. One of the things that, you know, and so you go through every chapter in the book is a different phrase in scripture that's used to justify us not elding. All right, us focusing on money, on schedules, on everything else you can focus on to keep you from having to eld. And why do you not want to eld? Well, because every time you eld, you get punched in the face. Right, you all know this, right? You all know this. Okay, so have any of you would any of you admit to punching an elder in the face? Nate, Dwayne, Adam. Actually, you almost did punch me one day, but I deserve to be punched. <laughs> That's a good story. Uh, but I told him he sh- nevertheless he shouldn't have done it because it would have been disrespectful. Oh, okay, all right, okay, yeah. So, if one of the things is judge not lest ye be judged, then the elder will say, we shouldn't be judging, right? Another one would be love bears all things. Love believes all things could be a third. Are you with me? Let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone, right? You see how this this book could develop? Well, one of them would be that love uh, believes all things. And one of the problems of a Facebook millennial generation is that you are unbelievably, now I'm going to use a word that there's a reason you don't know the word, all right? You are unbelievably credulous. Now this is a good word for you to learn. Credulous, creed, credible. Credulous means that you will, you will believe anything you've to, you're told. You know, if, you're, if your girlfriend is also a mother like you and she puts up a picture of her having a wonderful time out at the park with her children, you'll actually believe her. You won't know there was a, a diaper blowout You know, nobody's putting up pictures at the park of a diaper blowout, you know. (laughs) You won't realize that the only reason she left her house is that she was getting so angry with the children that she was hitting them out of anger. And she thought, I need a breath of fresh air. And so that motivated her to take her whole gang and put all of them in car seats. And it was so exhausting she took a picture at the park because she wanted affirmation from somebody. And we all believe what goes up on Facebook. And then when we have preachers who get up and tell us that the only thing that God says is not acceptable in homosexuality is prostitution or rape, that otherwise homosexuality is fine, we just believe it. You know? And if somebody tells us that saying homosexuality is sin is hate speech, we believe it. We're credulous. So, how, if the Bible says that love believes all things, why am I saying that you shouldn't be credulous? Because isn't being credulous believing all things? Shouldn't we all be a bunch of saps? Isn't that the highest state of Christian faith? You know? The most godly woman is the woman that never thinks she's being lied to. You know, like Mrs. Clinton. Not Hillary, but, but Bill's mother. I remember reading somebody saying that the problem with Bill Clinton was that he was raised in his home where his mother never, ever doubted his word. And so he didn't know the difference between truth and lie. It was just like kind of together. Isn't that exactly the most godly mother you could ever have? Ah, I didn't have that mother. <laughs> oh my goodness. This woman was a, was, a, was a heat-seeking missile when it came to raising me. <laughs> you don't like truth from me, let me tell you even those of you that have gotten the worst intensity of truth from me, you would get down on your lousy, stinking knees and plead to have me back if you had my mother. So my mother must have been a very wicked and unloving woman, right? When I think what I would be today if it weren't for my mother. Love believes all things. That doesn't mean love is a sappy mother who gets taken in by her children. That's not love. So what does it mean to believe all things? What it means is that love is always seeking for some excuse for the behavior and the words of the person in front of them. And so even if you know you've just been lied to, what love will do is love will find extenuating circumstances for the lie. Do you understand you'll always put yourself in a position to try to understand how past experiences, present pressures, fears, cause sin in another person or weakness. Love believes in the other person's character and is not intolerably negative. No child can grow up and thrive emotionally or spiritually who has a mother or father who believes nothing. All that does is tell your children about your attitude towards yourself. Does this make sense? How could you believe in nothing with your children when you look at how God's dealt with you? Has God not given you many, many gifts that have allowed you to be better than you are? And even in the midst of your greatest sin, hasn't God shown his mercy to you in such a way that instead of hardening your heart, you you give him unconditional surrender. I don't wanna I don't want to talk about God believing in you, because that's so open to perversion. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's every single commencement address I've ever heard. God believes in you. The only thing is they don't say God. They just say, you believe in you. God doesn't believe in you. But God is omnipotent and he has no problem with our sins forgiving them and making us holy. And so we approach our relationships with other people trusting in the power of God and believing that God will work in their lives and not hardening ourselves. And listen, if you harden yourself and you don't believe all things, you know the reason you do that? It's self-protection. That's the reason. You look at a bitter husband or a bitter wife after many years and what's lacking? They don't believe all things. And we keep going. Because there are two more. Love always hopes what's true of an embittered older husband and wife. They've stopped believing and they've stopped hoping. And listen, hope only shows itself when things are hopeless. Listen, no one needed to have hope that the Cubs would win the World Series this year. It was a shoo-in. There was just no way they weren't going to, you know, nobody was hopeful the Cubs would win the World Series. Now, of course, I'm joking. Doug will explain to you, he's, he, he's a compulsive Cubs fan, and Doug will explain to you that there needed to be how many games played? 200 and how many? Yeah, explain it to him. You explained it to me many times. Oh, of course I'm I'm joking. None of us could believe it when the, and so we had to have hope, right? But if I were to say to you that I have hope that Peyton Manning will be in the Hall of Fame. Tom Brady. That's not hopeful. Listen, hope only shows itself when things are desperate and there is no hope. It's hopeless. That's when hope shines. And so love always hopes. You know, you think of uh, one of the things that gets us most, most um, fearful is when our children grow up and, and they turn from God. And often, if we're Christians, our children turning from God also is them turning from us. And when I think of my father kicking me out of the home and then one night at about two in the morning waking up with him in my bedroom in a house he'd never been to and would never have wanted to come into. And he's on his knees next to my bed. Tim, are you all right? Somebody had called him. I think it's a nasty prank telling him I was in jail. And uh, just seeing my father's love and his hope but a more, a, more, a, more, um, a more poignant one is Mary Lee's father. Who had his oldest son leave. And when I say leave, it's capital L. He left. And for a period of somewhere around 25 years, there was no contact with his family. Apparently, I knew, heard recently that one of his brothers he actually did have occasional contact with, but it was a state secret. Nobody knew where he was. There was no contact. He was not serving the Lord. And then somebody told them that he was out teaching at a junior college in Sausalito just across the bridge uh, from, from San Francisco. And so Dad flew out there, and Dad was out in the hallway when he got done teaching his class. And when he, came out of the hall, when he came out of his class and he saw Dad, he looked at me and he said, get away from me, I don't want to talk to you. And I remember when Dad came home from that trip, he was very grief-stricken. But I also remember that there was no anger in him. I think all the rest of us could have strung that brother up <laughs> in a heartbeat. We could have had a lynching. But his father... Had no anger. Why? Because love hopes all things. His father did not give up hope. He didn't stop praying. And so then, you remember the earthquake hit? And when the earthquake hit, this man donated time to the Red Cross, putting loved ones in contact with their loved ones. And while he was doing this work, all of a sudden, he thought to himself, What joy there was for loved ones to hear that the other loved ones were alive. And then he turned his mind to his parents. And guess what? He showed up in Wheaton. (laughs) And what joy there was. What joy. I think for a period of, a couple years after that, I think every single week he wrote a loving postcard to his mother. And what joy it gave her. Love hopes all things. Now, the sad thing is that he still is not confessing Christ. But Mama's alive at 99, and she's praying. She hopes all things. Love hopes all things. You have children who are off slopping pigs in a foreign land. Think of yourself. Pinch yourself to see if you're in church loving God today. And if when you pinch, you realize this isn't a dream. Love hopes all things. You hope for your mother, for your father. You hope for your ex. Your divorced wife or husband. Knowing that your sin has contributed To their anger at Christians, you hope. Love hopes all things. We cannot serve God and see what he's done in our lives without hoping for others. And honestly, I would say that the worse their sin is, the more hope there is for them. The person there's no hope for is the self-righteous person. Right? That's what Jesus meant when he said that he doesn't he, he didn't come for the righteous. And you go, wait, wait, righteous? What do you mean righteous? And he says that's my point. I didn't come for the people who think they're righteous. I came for the sinners. Love believes all things covers all things hopes all things verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, what's the difference between uh, bears all things and endures? Endure and bear are similar, right? Endure is, it has an overtone of persecution. So, if your husband resents your godliness and torments you for it emotionally, you endure it. You think about the Apostle Paul's statements of what he went through, right? Um, If I can find my scripture references. I should have a separate page of scripture references in all my sermons. Or not references, but texts. Okay, here it is. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, (laughs) I love this, he says, he, 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 so, so there's these like super pastors who are celebrities and who say that Paul is full of it. Okay? And the Apostle Paul is having to defend himself because if he doesn't defend himself, they won't fear God. Because of course, super pastors always do what they do of giving you a cheap grace and flattering you. The Apostle Paul had to bust, last night I was reading, Right? And do you know that in Glasgow, do you know the meaning of the word Glasgow? It means something like clear water. And they never had clean water. And so back around 1850, they, the one guy decided that he was going to provide clean water for Glasgow because his wife died because of contaminated water. And it took years and years because it has some of the hardest rock on the face of the earth. They would work 24 hours a day for a full, I don't know whether it's a week or a month, I can't remember. 24 hours a day for, I think it's a month, to get through one yard of this rock because they're building a viaduct, okay? And so you think of the difficulties of. working with people that want to think they're good and want to be flattered. And you're just constantly trying to get them to see themselves as they are. Some of you wives have had a husband like that. And it's like you're trying to bust through the rock to get the viaduct to Glasgow. Right? That's the work of your ruling elders. And sometimes they don't work for a month, 24 hours a day. They work for years and years. And this is what the Apostle Paul did with those he loved. He kept trying to break the stone of their hearts. And then along come the super pastors, and the super pastors say, Ah, you're wonderful. Give me some money. Ah, you're wonderful. Don't you want to come to my church? You're wonderful. Buy my book. And so the Apostle Paul is at his wits end to know how he's going to get them to listen to his warnings day and night with tears. So what does he do? He says this. Are they, he's meaning the super pastors, are they Hebrews? Are they Presbyterians? So am I. Are they Israelites? Scottish, Irish. So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says this. He says, I speak as if insane. You know, comparisons are odious. It's all about comparisons. He's totally mortified and embarrassed by what he's having to do. And then listen to what he, where he goes. I, I, I have to be insane to speak like this. I more so. In far more labors, I worked harder than you worked. You know you imagine Phil coming off the roof and turning to Stephen and saying, "I worked harder than you worked." <laughs> in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, I've had I've done more time than you've done. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Oh, Paul, really? Do we have to hear the number? Were you keeping track? Three times I was beaten with rods. Yikes, which is worse? Rods or lashes? Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. Oh, man. In other words, on, on the water, without ship. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Honestly, I don't understand how all the scholars today can be so condescending towards Paul. You want to know why I always say the Apostle Paul? I want to honor him this man was a lover. Love endures all things. Why did he do that? He said, "For me to, to live as Christ and to die is gain." He knew it would be gain to die. so why not, if you're getting stoned, just Why not stop eating? Why not ask them to give you more morphine? Because he loved the people of God. Just as you love your own children, that's how your elders love you. They're willing to have you hate them, to punch, they're willing to have you punch them, they're willing to be scoffed at on the internet. From false brethren, love endures all things. Listen, love your elders. Love your elders. Honor them and love them. Not one of them is a sadist. You may think they're sadists, but that's because your mother believed you. (laughs) Okay. Let's have a good Christmas this year. Let's love each other. Covers all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Okay, let's pray.